Welcome to the Bare Marriage Podcast. I'm Sheila Ray Gregg. Welcome to lovehonorandvacuum.com, where we like to talk about healthy, evidence-based, biblical advice for your sex and marriage. And today is a kind of a special day. I am joined today by my husband, Keith. Hello, everyone. And my son-in-law, Connor. Hello, everyone. And yesterday was Rebecca's birthday, so that mm. was special. But the thing about Becca's birthday is that it, it falls right around the time that three years ago, everything changed. Yeah. Because three years ago, third week of January on a Monday, we ran our first post about love and respect. That was when I first read a harmful <laughs> Christian book and I kind of freaked out yeah. <laughs> and I thought, oh my goodness, what are we doing? maybe this is why people have been having so many problems with sex and marriage. Because up until then, I hadn't known that there were these harmful teachings out there. I hadn't read the books. And so I didn't realize what was being done. We did that series on love and respect. It blew up. Um, we ended up getting so many emails from women who had been, who, who had felt abused after reading that book and how it had enabled abuse in their marriage. We've collected over a thousand of those stories. They're going to be coming out in a, in a special bonus episode podcast very soon. So listen in for that and keep your eyes open for that. But, you know, after we, we ran that, we created a report, sent it to focus on the family since they published the book and said, hey, I don't know if you're aware of this but this book's actually causing harm and they ignored us. And that's why we did our huge study. A year later, after they ignored us, I published my huge open letter to focus on the family about love and respect. Last year, we talked about love and respect on the anniversary as well, and it's kind of become a thing. Where in the third week of January, we like to focus on the problems with love and respect and warn the church that this is not a healthy book, that this is not healthy teaching. And I wasn't sure what to do this year, but my patrons, actually, one of uh, our patrons, we do have a patron group plug for our patrons. <laughs> um, you can become a patron for as little as $5 a month, and you'll get access to all kinds of bonus episodes, unfiltered episodes that Rebecca and Joanna do, um, book club, an amazing Facebook group that's really active. I think Rebecca's going to be reviewing Sacred Search by Gary Thomas all throughout February, so join us over there. That will not be on the main podcast. That's just on our patron podcast, which... The money from that helps to go support our research. We will put a link to that in the podcast notes. But a wonderful patron, after all that, a wonderful <laughs> patron pointed me to a really problematic podcast episode that Emerson Egrich did with his son, Jonathan, back when they were still doing podcasts. I started to listen and I got nine minutes through and I said, no, can't do it. Just can't do it. Nope, nope, nope. And I said, hey, Connor, <laughs> you work for me. <laughs> can make you do stuff <laughs> and and last year connor did such an amazing job going through emerson egrich's sermons from houston's first baptist church mm -hmm. and showing how they gaslit emotional abuse victims and we will also put a link to that because that and that blew up big that mm -hmm. blew up big and so this week the reason this particular podcast episode was so important is because it was talking about telling women to have sex when they don't want to and I thought the way that he handled it was really important. So I am going to turn it over to you, Connor, after that big introduction. And now you get to take over the podcast. Keith and I have not listened to this, so you're going to let us know what it said, and we're just going to react. Before we jump into it, a big shout out to our sponsor, the Intimately Us app. 
It's like a foreplay app, but it is so much more. It gives you great sexy ideas to spice up your love life. It has tons and tons of games, but it also helps you communicate, figure out what you like and what your spouse likes. So thank you to our sponsor. Great, so we're gonna break it up a little bit first. We're going to start uh, just by talking uh, first, just about the first part of the podcast. They did a bit of a recap of the previous episode, and I think this is uh, this is some of the stuff you got to listen to in the mm-hmm. uh, in the first nine <laughs> minutes there. Yes. And so, w- w- what was the name of this podcast? Yes, and we yes. will put yeah, a link in our podcast notes. So the name of this podcast episode, I believe, was Tuesday Night is Coming Part Two. A good woman's view of sex. So I see this and already I'm like, okay, let's, <laughs> let's see what Emerson's take on this is. What a good woman thinks of sex. Yeah. Mm-hmm. As opposed to a bad woman yeah. or a bad wife. Yes. Mm-hmm. Yes. Uh, the first part of the podcast, they do a recap of their previous uh, their previous podcast episode, and already right off the bat, I was getting a lot. I know it's uh, I knew it wasn't quite on topic, but I'm like, ah, we've got to talk about some of this. So what he's doing is he's talking about how the wife will often use absolute language or absolutist thinking. Uh, they'll say things like, "Oh, you never do this," or "You always do that." And then what the man will do is they'll say, well, no, it's not never, it's not always, and they'll get caught up on these words and avoid the, the root problem. And I listen to that, I'm like, yeah, okay, this is an issue that we get into sometimes where mm-hmm. one partner will use an absolute term like you always do this, and the other partner has an easy out by saying, well, no, it's not always, there's this time and this time I did this. Mm-hmm. And then the argument becomes about that and not about the core issue. Mm -hmm. But you don't have to put it into strictly gendered terms like that. And just just to make sure, I went in and I did some research and I started looking up scholarly articles to see, do women use more absolute language in marriages? And no, the only correlation that they've really established with using absolute language Mm -hmm. is people tend to use absolute language more when they are suffering from depression or anxiety or other things Mm. like that. So if your wives are using this kind of language and they're having those kinds of cognitions, you maybe need to stop and think, okay, what's going on here? But that's not a female thing. So he's saying in his podcast, not it's unhealthy to use absolute language, but he's saying women tend to do this and they need to stop. He says women tend to do this and he uses that to springboard into his next point, which is an extension of this absolute language is sometimes women will say that they are done with the marriage and they want to walk away and they think we need to get a divorce. And he says, what I want you to do, guys, is don't take that at face value. So he's saying <laughs> women... Sorry, wait a minute. Hold on a second. So she says, she says that she wants a divorce. And he's supposed to not believe her? He's supposed to say, well, this is what women do. They use this extreme language because this is how they might feel in the moment or a bunch of other reasons. And what Emerson tells me to do is to not take this at face value. And he goes on to... So he's saying it's normal for women to say, I want a divorce? Yeah, he's saying sometimes it comes up in the heat of the moment and it's how they feel. And he says they shouldn't say that. You should never use the D word. That is off, like in no circumstances should you use the D word. He says the D word is off limits. It's out of bounds. It's a taboo. So that where does that leave people 
for whom that really is something that needs to be discussed. But he goes on from that to say, yeah, you know, sometimes it comes up in the heat of the moment. Other times, that's a way of women testing how secure the marriage is. You know, he uses the example of, you know, sometimes you go out and you kick the fence just to make sure it's still standing. Sometimes if your wife tells you she wants a divorce, she might just be trying to make sure that you are still really committed and devoted. And his advice for all of this to the guys, to sum it all up, is stay the course. When your wife tells you she wants a divorce, stay the course continue to show her love, continue to show her uh, support and all of this. And what If my wife tells me she wants a divorce, <laughs> my course is not correct. I need, to, <laughs> I need to turn that steering wheel a little bit. Not oh just keep the course, keep loving her. Uh, it, something so, is going wrong I, here. Yeah, exactly. And again, here's the whole thing. It's like, this is this classic trope Women are irrational and emotional, and men are steady and strong and loyal. Yeah. And you know what? There are steady, strong, loyal men, and there are emotional women. But guess what? There are steady, strong, loyal women, and there are emotional men. And when we make it a gender thing, it is so unhealthy. It's just ridiculous. We should be talking about what's right and what's wrong, what's healthy, what's unhealthy. It's just yeah. it's so okay. stereotypic and so sexist. It's I ridiculous. Just, I find it very interesting, though, Like to pick up on what Connor said. People who use absolute language are more likely to be depressed or have depression symptoms. Yeah, to have uh, issues or struggles with anxiety. Like, it's not necessarily that you're diagnosed, but that you have heightened anxiety, depression, these sorts of things. Okay, so he thinks it's normal for women to use absolute language, (laughs) and he thinks it's normal for women to say, I want a divorce. Has your wife ever asked you if you want a divorce? No, <laughs> or not, has, not has your wife ever said to you, I want a divorce? Not even close. No. <laughs> like, that's not normal. <laughs> to kind of talk a little bit more about this uh, this gender thing, something I did find kind of funny was his son who's on the podcast with him, uh, Jonathan Egrich, who's a psychologist, comes in afterwards and says, yeah, no, yeah, this is like this is something that we see and all that, and it can be either either partner. Uh, and I'm like, so he comes in and says that. All yeah. right, okay, Jonathan, okay. <laughs> but Egrich himself was very specific that it's women. That very do this specific that it's yeah, uh, that, that it's women sense. who do this. And like, I always think it's men who do that more. Like women never do that. You, sorry, you say you always. Think I that? always think that men. Always th- I always think that men. Women just do not use absolute language. Men never use absolute language. <laughs> oh my god. Anyway, so let's move on from this yes, into uh, into kind of the main part of the podcast episode. What he's doing is he's talking about this letter that a woman wrote in in response to part one, from what I gather, and she writes in talking about how. Uh, She doesn't say it in these terms, but the whole thing is about how obligation sex has really messed up sex in her marriage and really made her feel quite horrible. She's talking about how for the last two years what she's been doing is she has been really trying to always be available for her husband and to initiate every uh, every three days. And it's (laughs) reached a point where... That's the he he doesn't initiate anymore. He expects her to initiate every third day Mm -hmm. and... She will often cry in the shower beforehand because she feels that this is what God demands from her. And if she doesn't do it, she'll be living in sin. Mm. And also that if she doesn't do it, she's a, she feels like her husband is going to treat her coldly and treat her poorly. Please tell me Emerson Eggert didn't say you're doing your duty and that's a wonderful thing. 
I really wish I could tell you that. He says a lot of stuff about it, and it's none of what you want to hear. <laughs> okay. So she is saying all these things to him. She is say- saying to Egrich, asking a question, saying, I'm crying before I do this, and I, I don't want to do this, and I feel like I'm going to be letting God down and everything if I don't do this. Well, it ends up being she's more sharing her story. Okay. All right. okay. Uh, as opposed to answering a question, because she even gives some advice towards the... Uh, towards the end, or kind of shares where she's at okay. now. Gotcha. Okay. But so the first problem is that Emerson mishears what she's saying and speaks to something completely wrong. He's saying, "So you know, guys, this is just this is just you know wild. You have to stop and think. Why would you treat your wife poorly if she's doing all the things that she's supposed to be doing? When what she clearly <laughs> said was that I'm worried if I don't do these things, he will treat me poorly." So he spends a lot of time talking about how, guys, if your wife is doing what she should be doing, don't treat her poorly. (laughs) Does he use that kind of language, if she's doing? Uh, Because interestingly, he doesn't say to women, if your husband's treating you lovingly, you need to treat him respectfully. He says, it doesn't matter whether your husband is being loving, you have to treat him respectfully. Like, he uses very much a mandate to women. Does he give the mandate to men, or does he sort of say, if she's not doing this, does he kind of give give them an out? He addresses men who would treat their wife poorly when she's doing everything that she should be doing. is like, uh-huh. you need to, like, I know you're a good-willed man, but you need to stop and think, like, why are you doing this? Maybe, like, try doing it this way instead. Mm-hmm. This is go- You're going to lose her heart if you keep doing this. Okay. So what she's doing is good. Mm-hmm. And he says, everything that you are doing is not wasted. You know, everything that you're doing is touching God. This is good. Stay the course. Keep crying in the shower. Keep keep crying in the shower. <laughs> he doesn't say that, but it's it's hey, what you're doing is what you're doing is good. What you're doing is working. He just needs uh, a little bit of an attitude adjustment, and everything will be fine essentially. Okay, this and but, this is. Th- can I just say? Okay, this is this is big, and this is why I keep coming back to love and respect every year in January in this week, and we will continue to do that until this book is taken out of print. But. The callousness, this woman is saying she's crying in the shower and he's telling her this is good because according to Emerson Egrich, she's ticking off all the right boxes because he doesn't actually care about how women feel or how women are experiencing marriage. All he cares about is that they are doing the things that they are supposed to be doing with the chairs acronym of how to respect your husband her well-being does not enter into the picture at all Mm -hmm. it's only whether or not she's doing the right things that her husband needs so that she is showing him the proper respect and And here's and here's uh, what he seems to entirely miss from what she's saying like i said he starts going off about the wrong thing but the problem is she's directly saying i am crying in the shower before sex because I feel that God demands it of me and because I feel that there will be repercussions if I don't. So she's literally saying, I cry in the shower because I feel obligated to have sex. Mm-hmm. It That's the obligation sex message right there. And he's saying, great, hey, what you're doing is good. Just yeah. keep doing it. But she's not so, even saying she feels obligated. She's saying she feels coerced. But you're probably going to bring this up in a minute. But if if she has to have sex to keep him from treating her badly, that's not just obligation. That's coercion. Mm-hmm. Is that and, is that God obligates her to do it, and her husband coerces her yes. into doing it? And a lot of people don't realize that. Like we need we need to spell this out more. Marital rape is a real thing, and 
it doesn't always look, and in fact, it doesn't usually look like a husband holding his wife down and physically raping her. Most coercion is more subtle than that. And it's things exactly like this, where unless you have sex, he will treat you badly or he will yell at the kids more. We shared a letter on the podcast, I think it was last week, um, where a, ma- a woman has to have sex with her husband before a small group or else he shares embarrassing stories about her mm-hmm. in the small group. That is coercion. And for someone who, th- who touts himself as the marriage expert to not even pick up on that or mention that when this is such a huge issue is appalling. Well, yeah. And the issue is that, as he said in Love and Respect, if your husband is typical, he has a need you don't have. Yeah. So the baseline here is that men need sex, women don't. Yeah. And so all this makes sense. The problem is, when you get to the point where a person is crying in the shower, mm-hmm. what, at what point do we say, we've gone off the rails here? Well, here's what Emerson has to say about that. She can find comfort in what she's been doing. She's not the fool for this. And I think there are women out there who would say, well, she's just a fool. And uh, no, no, no. Um, I mean, the idea of suffering and unfairness i get that but i mean is anybody reading the scripture i mean she's not tortured here this is not a situation where she's being crucified but all of the scripture talks about unfair situations but if we suffer for righteousness this leads to reward this leads to the blessing of christ on our lives and there are a lot of holy women out there who get that who understand that and she would be in that category and i salute her Mm -hmm. Wow. Yeah. Okay. Pastors, if you are listening to this, please understand that this is the underlying message of love and respect. It is inexcusable that this book is the most used marriage study in North America. When we're telling a woman, hey, it doesn't matter that you're being coerced into sex because at least you're not being tortured. Mm. Yeah. And he says... Uh, This is a direct quote. The answer here isn't just to, you know, be disobedient by depriving your husband. Like you said, he's constantly bringing up his needs, the husband's needs. Disobedient by depriving Mm -hmm. your husband. Yet, is this woman having a fulfilling sex life? The husband is completely depriving her. And Mm -hmm. that's never mentioned. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And the whole point of the First Corinthians passage is mutuality, and they miss it completely. And this thing I want to... Oh, can I say something about coercion mm-hmm. earlier? Because I think that the issue is is that a lot of these teachings promote a male sense of entitlement to sex. Uh, and so a lot of guys, you know, sort of feel like it's their due, they're, they're owed to this. Um, and they don't even realize that. Uh, and these books do nothing to make those men become healthy and stop thinking that way. Because the thing is, is this... If I am grouchy and annoying, if I'm not having sex often, right. that should not be my wife's problem. That is a character issue for mm-hmm. me. Mm-hmm. Where is yeah. the Christian teaching that being grouchy when you don't have sex is not poor guy, unfortunate for you, your wife is not submissive and godly. Where is the teaching that, hey, you know, you need to be a stronger character than that. You need to be a loving husband. Where does that come into it? And not just that, just to interrupt for a second, then I'll let you keep going. Emerson Egrich would say, hey, you grouchy guy, we all know you're a good-willed man. Yeah. Yeah, well, we don't, I mean, yeah. No, but he says that over and over again. Your husband's a good-willed man with yeah. no evidence of it. Yeah, no. This is the thing. You know, we don't need to coddle men. I think men can, men can be Christ-like. Men can step up to the plate. Men can be good. Uh, I don't think men are bad. Um, but when we give this mentality of your owed things, 
and it's your it's her duty. It doesn't help. It doesn't help her. It doesn't help him either. And we need to stop it. Yeah. Going through all this, that specifically that word disobedient. Like this isn't. Uh, this isn't. Uh, the answer isn't just to be disobedient. You know what word I don't hear him using for men, even though I'd say at least half of this podcast episode is directed towards the men, I don't hear him calling them disobedient. Mm. He's giving advice, he's giving coaching, he's giving direction. He doesn't say that the things that they're doing that's wrong is disobedient. Mm -hmm. And so she would be disobedient by not giving him sex every three days. Yeah. Mm. Which, by the way, is a 72-hour rule, which we debunk in The Great Sex Rescue. It is not a medical thing. There is no biblical junction or biblical... What's the word? Injunction? Inju- there is no... In- injunction against something. Okay, there's no command. biblical command to have sex every 72 hours. Uh, that was made up by James Dobson in 1977 and, and many Christian books like Power of a Praying Wife, Sheet Music... Um, Every Man's Battle, and obviously Emerson Egbert's Love and Respect have followed that since that we need to have sex every 72 hours. Yeah. So so she's disobedient if she deprives him right. of sex, mm-hmm. but he's not disobedient if he's cold and unfeeling toward her if if they don't have sex. Yeah. Okay. Mm-hmm. Good to yeah. know. Okay. He's just being a bit of a fool. Mm-hmm. That's right. Because he's a good-willed man. Yeah. Good-willed man. Gotcha. Yeah. Okay. Mm-hmm. Doesn't care that I his wife how, is I crying in how, the shower. Okay. I see how it works now. Yeah. And one thing Emerson says to the guys in this situation that I just found a little demeaning is he's saying to the guys, listen, if you have a wife like this woman who wrote the letter, uh, she's she's great. She's doing a good job. If you have a woman like that, you've got a gold mine. Oh, my gosh. And then he talks about how, I, and I know that there are, there are women out so, there So who, the goal, hold on a second. I, that, let's, so the mm-hmm. goal here is to have a woman so devastated... And so in such abject, like, distress that, but she'll still serve you sexually. That's the goal. Yeah. You, you want That's a terrible. woman That's who terrible. is willing to make those sacrifices It's not a gold mine. Okay, but you, but you, when you realize... Okay, listen, hold on a second. If you're a husband, if you're listening to this, if you're a husband, you have a wife like that, okay, you have a huge job to help your wife heal. You have a huge job to put your arms around her and be like Jesus to her. And pick her up from that situation and make things better. That's what I would say. And if you're a pastor who is recommending Emerson Egridge, realize that Emerson Egridge knows nothing about intimacy. Because anyone who knows anything about intimacy knows that sex with a woman who is crying is not intimate. It is using a person. And there is a huge difference between making love and using a person. Mm -hmm. And for him to say, what a beautiful thing that he gets to use this woman. How did we ever think that was Christian? Well, and that's what we get into in the next section is Emerson starts talking about how men are capable of, you know, having this sexual connection completely compartmentalized, completely detached from any kind of emotional or spiritual or anything. Uh, that's, that's just part and parcel with their physiology and the way that they're created. They're totally fine just not having any and, of that. And he's not the only one that teaches that. I hear that a lot in a lot of evangelical churches that men are, men for men, sex is compartmentalized. Context doesn't matter, all that kind of stuff. What I don't get is how they don't stop and think, is that a Christian value? Because Mm -hmm. if we really believe that sex was something that God created for us, 
it, do we really think that the ultimate in that is just mindless, contextless, physical release? I mean, like, well, that's what he says, right? In, in of... love, let, let's quote love and respect here. A husband has a need for physical release through sexual intimacy. So the purpose of sex to Emerson Egrich, we already know that from his book, the purpose of sex is physical release, not intimacy. He never mentions intimacy. Yeah. Now you want another quote? Well, let, let, oh, let Keith keep going yeah. on. I, I was just going to say is that, is that like, yeah, maybe guys are more naturally drawn to the physical side of sex. But it doesn't mean that men don't have a concept of the emotional and spiritual nature of sex. And maybe women are more drawn to the spiritual and emotional sides of sex. It doesn't mean they can't be open to the physical side of sex. Mm -hmm. If you believe in these gender terms, which I'm not entirely sure is healthy, but let's say you do, our goal should be trying to teach each of the genders how to be open to the full picture of what sex is meant to be, which is physical and emotional and even spiritual. That's what a Christian view of sex is. But we don't have a Christian view of sex here. What we have here is a highly, highly, you know, worldly, like a pornographic view of sex. It's about the transaction. Yeah. Um, and that's, that is considered the goal. And I mean, how did we ever get to the point in the Christian church where we thought that was the ultimate? Where her experience doesn't matter. His ejaculation does. And his experience is an empty shell of mm -hmm. what sex is supposed mm -hmm. to be. Sex is supposed to be something so much better than an orgasm mm -hmm. for a guy. Like, mm -hmm. it's much more than that. And, and we're missing out on so much. Yeah. Now, you want another quote? Yes, uh, please. When Emerson starts talking to the guys about here is here's my advice for you what he says you know to to help the guys who might be in the same kind of situation or who might be in a situation where their wife doesn't want to have sex and getting turned on anything like that he says this is a quote here you turn on a woman sexually by not having anything to do with her sexually so what he's doing wait, is he's, wait, 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 yeah, yeah. wait, wait, I'm processing. So, okay, so hold on a second. He's trying, to, he's trying to give guys advice on how to get their wives to have sex with them more? Is he trying to give Or is he guys trying to give guys advice on how to make their wife not cry in the shower? Or, like, or, I'm serious, or try to arouse her. So let, let, let's go into this here. What he's doing is he's taking those, those three components that we talk about, the physical, the emotional, and the spiritual, and he's splitting them up. He's saying the physical is the guy's. Okay. And the spiritual and emotional are the women's. Okay. Uh -huh. And he's saying, women don't get turned on by the physical stuff. They get turned on by, you turn them on by not having anything to do with them sexually. It's all the, it's all the emotional stuff. It's doing the chores and everything like that. So he's talking about, he's, ta he's trying to talk about being emotionally connected to your wife. Yeah. Rather, than, rather than just going after her for sex. Is that what he's trying to say? Yeah. Okay. Uh, and well, that's, that's not a terrible thing no, to say. But, uh, it's, but it's, terrible, but, it's unfortunate. Okay. Yeah, but, but we've got some more. He gives a caveat, and I think this is important because I think it is really damaging to tell women and to tell men that the physical side of sex is not for you, women. This is not for you. Yeah, well, and not just that. You can get turned on by... This stuff here. But does he even mean turned on or does he just mean willing to have sex? Like, does he, he means, actually mean like... He means turned on. He's talking about how can you get your wife willing to have sex. But that's, to, that's oh, two sorry. different things. Right, yeah. Like, I don't... Well, I mean, does he even believe that women can get physically turned he on? Because I'm not sure if that you he do, does. If you, he, he says if you, do the, if you do the emotional stuff, the chores and the reading a book with them and, and all of that, then... That can get them willing, and then when you start having sex, you know, yeah. then they can get the okay. gears going. Okay, so hold on a second. So, okay, so this is, I think, 
and I haven't listened to the podcast, so I don't know if this is what he's saying, but this is a thing I see in the evangelical church all the time, and I suspect it's probably what he's trying to say is, okay, there's this thing called sex, and sex is a physical thing that happens between two people, and that's all sex is, mm-hmm. okay? And so women don't really like this physical thing, mm-hmm. right? But if you are emotionally close with them and you do these things, then sometimes they'll engage in sex. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So it's again, it's the whole idea that sex is only physical. Mm-hmm. I mean... How is that a Christian sexual ethic in any way, shape, or form? I mean, it should be something more holistic than just tab A in slot B. Yeah. Right. I mean, but I want to go back to this. I'm still not convinced that he actually believes a woman can get physiologically aroused. Because remember, he never once mentions it in his book. He never once says that women have any pleasure. In fact, he says that women don't need physical release. We need emotional release. Well, let me tell you, he actually does mention that women uh, can get turned on like physically and want to have sex. He gives a caveat that there may be three days a month when a woman is capable of becoming pregnant. And in those times, she can absolutely you know, have a sexual appetite. Okay. But again, if he's saying, okay, so she only I'm sorry, wants- just that's so <laughs> wild to me. I guess, you know what? I've gone through menopause, so I guess I'm done because I don't ovulate anymore. I'm really sorry, hun. To use absolutist language, I guess you'll never. <laughs> okay, it's, it's, okay. There's going to be TMI if I start talking now. No, okay. But, <laughs> but- <laughs> No, I, st- I still want to harp on this just a little bit because there's a sexual appetite. So three days a month, the stars align and there's a hormonal rush and she actually likes sex. But does she? Or does because she, she can get pregnant. Because, because she can get pregnant. Because okay, she can get okay. pregnant. Okay, but All sexual right. appetite is still talking oh, about libido. We're oh still not talking about physiological arousal. I am not convinced he knows women can orgasm. Because remember that he says in love and respect. He, he must know that. It's okay, but I, I think he might think it's a myth or something. Or that like it's only. It's only <laughs> you mean the way he talks about it sounds like yes, he must think it's a myth. Because he says because, yeah. in love and respect. Well, why would you deprive him of something which takes so little time yeah. and makes him so well, happy? And here's the deal is if you are a, a husband who wants to make your wife happy and you know that there is this thing called orgasm, yeah. you know, and you're writing books about marriage, why wouldn't you spend at least a sentence or two saying, hey, this might be something you might try and give your wife because it's a good thing. But he like, never, ever it never once com- It never comes he up. Never does it come up in this podcast at all about female orgasm? Does that come up no, at all? No. no. Uh, you know what he does say, though, which I think is another red flag? It says, you can't tell if a woman is turned on. <laughs> Okay, before. Oh my gosh! <laughs> That'll go in the blooper reel. <laughs> I can't get a I'm sorry. You can keep going now. Okay. I'm okay. sorry. All right, so. So, was. Okay, in Emmer's. In Egrich's defense, okay, was this like a. a, a <laughs> oh my gosh. Okay. okay. Uh, what, tell me when we're going to go into the actual podcast. No, we're in it. We're in it. Okay. This is in it. Okay. Okay. Go. So, so tell me, Connor, is this yeah. in Egrich's defense? Do you think this was an awkward attempt to talk about the concept of, you know, arousal non concordance? Like that, that, you know, maybe. <laughs> That at all. No, but maybe, oh, oh, maybe, you... like maybe he's read about it or heard about it. Like you can't tell when it's turned on because, like for instance, you get this times where people say like a wife says she's turned on, but maybe the physiology isn't working exactly and she wants to, 
And we talk about how that we talk about those kind of things, right? Did, is that what he was doing? Or? No, this was not a nuanced attempt <laughs> okay. at a deeper conversation okay. about arousal non-concordance. Right. I'm sorry, I was trying to give him, uh, give him the benefit of the doubt. This was leading up to him making a joke about how there's no subtlety to the male arousal. System. Oh, yeah, yeah. Oh, it's a hard-on joke. Okay, yeah. gotcha. Yeah, okay. yeah. In fact, uh, we get energized by having sex as an end in itself because of our anatomy and the quick release and just the relaxation that comes. Her sexuality is much more subtle. You can't tell if a woman is sexually turned on. It's very subtle. They're very subtle signs. They're there, but they're subtle. You and I don't have any subtlety <laughs> about our sexual arousal. What I want to do right now is I want to talk about, you know, what the specifics that he gets into with this, you know, so how is it that you do uh, get your wife turned on with the with the emotional stuff and he talks a lot about you know this is where you spend time with her read a book help out with housework and all of these things these are the things you can do to get your wife turned on and i'm sitting here thinking these are things you can do with your wife absolutely uh the reasons to do these things are mm. for the emotional and spiritual connection and i want to say first off the only time i would call it helping with housework <laughs> yeah, yeah. is if my wife yeah. is actively doing something yeah. and I step in beside her to work on that all the rest of the time it's yeah. just called doing housework <laughs> <laughs> if I do the yeah. dishes that's not helping my wife with the dish that's yeah. doing the dishes and this and this is a common thing that older guys do because it was mm -hmm. it was different 40 years ago right but we need to realize things have changed and we need to talk mm -hmm. differently about those kind of things. Which now. is also why, and but but let's just say October 2021, Gary Thomas's book Married Sex came out, written with Deborah Felita, but it was Gary Thomas's part that was more difficult. And he talked about how Timothy helped with the kids, not that Timothy parented yeah. the kids. It might, it, it older guy thing, and Gary's, well, he's not that much older than we are. But like, no, it's but still, it, I'm just saying it's still out there and needs to stop. Okay, yeah. that's it. Yeah. I'm and done. Now, and now it, it it gets even more problematic for me when he starts talking about, he says, you know, guys, like, why do you think your wife is asking you to vacuum? Uh, it's probably not because she's this domestic engineer cracking the whip, wanting you to do whatever she says whenever she says it. Uh, and we might even toss in the audio clip for the full context for this one. But he says... Maybe, guys, did you ever think that it's because she realizes that you doing the vacuuming gets her turned on? Okay, let's... <laughs> that's, not the, that's not the reason your wife is asking you to contribute to basic household tasks. Oh, gosh. <laughs> okay, let's listen. Okay, so let's listen. Every three days uh, a month, you know, there's going to be that um, peaking of sexual interest because she can become pregnant. There are these sexual appetites, but... You know, we say 27 days out of the month, it's the relationship with you that excites her, not just raw sex. And so notice the things that turn her on. And it's so easy to do. Reading a book together, praying together, helping her with the household. Why is it that your wife wants you to vacuum? Um, it isn't necessarily because she's this domestic engineer who has a whip in hand and wants you to abide by every command she gives to you. Maybe she realizes that it's a sexual turn on to her. You know, baby. Oh, when gosh, you, <laughs> I don't like where this is going. When you vacuum, I always. Again, like, and we said this in the Great Sex Rescue, and I will say it again. The reason that women like 
like men who do housework is not because if you vacuum, they will have sex with you. It's not that seeing you vacuum yeah, the makes them turn vacuuming. on. The yeah. act of vacuuming does nothing. What women find sexy is a man who is an engaged partner in the relationship yeah. and who understands that this is a partnership. When you do her chore, help her by doing her chore so that you can get sex, that is not being an engaged partner and that is more likely to turn her off than it is turn her on. I just got to jump in here. So excuse me for just interrupting this podcast and this discussion because I got to say something. And so consider this Sheila's educational moment. I think we need to understand the sexual response cycle and talk about that just for a minute because it sounds like what's happening is that Emerson Egridge is confusing things with arousal that are not actually arousal. So here we go. In our upcoming books, The Good Guy's Guide to Great Sex and The Good Girl's Guide to Great Sex, we talk about the sexual response cycle a lot. And we have a diagram that looks something like this. Actually, it looks exactly like this because I just took a screenshot of it from our PDF. So Katie will put it on the on the screen in YouTube if you're watching on YouTube, but I'm going to describe it. So you have excitement, which is when your body starts to start reacting to sex. Your heart rate goes up a little bit. For women, lubrication might start. For men, they get an erection, etc. Um, this is when you like the teasing, that you're starting to kiss, you're starting to touch a bit, but you're not getting like full sexy, sexy yet. Then we have arousal, where you do have a lot more markers of arousal, where women are going to want more direct stimulation directly to the genitalia, the breasts, etc., that are all your typical erogenous zones. Then you have plateau, which is like you're almost at orgasm. And so you want the stimulation to stay like exactly the same. Like don't mess anything up. Just keep doing what you're doing because I'm almost there. And in women, this is when um, the clitoris actually retracts. So it goes flat against the body. You're just looking for for consistent stimulation that's about the same. And then you get orgasm and then you get resolution. Now there's another element, which is desire, which is like that mental component when you really want sex. And for some people, desire comes before excitement. So this is where you're panting before you even start to kiss. And for some people, you got to kiss first and then you get into the real desire. And so, you know, desire is either going to go before excitement or after excitement. That's how we've always explained the sexual response cycle. It never occurred to me until listening to Emerson Egrich's podcast, that there's another element that I never thought I would have to talk about, but apparently we do. And so we're going to add another element to the very beginning, which is simply a willingness to have sex. Okay. So desire is like wanting to have sex where you actually want this. Whereas willingness is just, okay, I guess we can. And what concerns me as I'm listening to this whole thing with Emerson Egrich is that he thinks that women only get to the willingness to have sex and that that is the same as arousal because the way that he's talking about it, like housework gets her aroused. No, it doesn't, Emerson Egrich. When a woman is aroused, it means that her clitoris has an erection. It means that she's lubricated. <laughs> it means that um, her areolas are 25% bigger. Her heart rate is elevated. There are physical signs of arousal. This is not rocket science. The fact that you say that you can't tell when a woman is aroused means that you don't understand these signs. Those signs are not present when you're doing housework, <laughs> okay? Like housework does not get her aroused. It probably doesn't even get her excited. 
it might just simply get her to the point where she's saying, hey, you know, maybe we should consider having sex. But it doesn't get her there because she likes seeing you vacuuming. It gets her there because you're, you're an actual partner in the relationship. And this whole transactional model is so weird. So there's your educational component, okay? Arousal and willingness to have sex are totally not the same thing. <laughs> Excitement and willingness to have sex are not the same thing. And if we're messing this up, boy, do we have unfulfilling sex lives. If you wanna have a fulfilling sex life, do check out, you can pre-order them now, The Good Girl's Guide to Great Sex, totally revamped for 2022, and our new book, The Good Guy's Guide to Great Sex. Our launch team is gonna be available as of February 1st, so you can get, you can take a good look at that book even early if you pre-order it, and we'll have more information about that. Here is another way, and this is a fun one, if you want to understand arousal, and you really want to see what a woman looks like when she gets turned on, <laughs> and that's the Intimately Us app. It honestly is an amazing app. And and seriously, go download it this weekend. Check it out. The app has a bunch of bedroom games, specifically like sexy foreplay games that add a lot of creativity and spice. It's really tastefully designed. I know the guy, Dan Purcell, who designed it. It's Christian friendly. You're not going to find anything crass, anything raunchy, anything pornographic. It's all about you and your spouse. And the app has hundreds of in-depth how-tos and ideas for making lovemaking more connected and pleasurable. You're going to learn how to actually get to excitement and arousal, not just to willingness to have sex, okay? And you're going to learn how to cultivate this desire in long-term relationships by learning how to talk about this stuff, how to discover what turns each other on and what turns each other off. Um, You can have a private intimacy uh, discussion between you and your spouse where there's an interactive yes, no, maybe where you get to discuss your preferences and what you might like to try, but what's absolutely off limits. So it has a fun way to talk about it. It's totally private. It's totally secure. um, And no one can break into it. The app is free to download on iPhone or Android. Just search for Intimately Us. And then if you like it, you can always upgrade to the premium version and have even more fun. And you will thank me for that. Then going on from there in the podcast, uh, they read some more of the letter and this woman writing in, like I said, you know, it's more her sharing her experience and some of the things that uh, she says she's learned. What she ends off the podcast with is talking about how what she's learned is that it is absolutely vital and very difficult, but absolutely vital for both partners to approach these issues from a place of honor and respect. And Emerson completely misses an opportunity to acknowledge that women have any need for respect. She says it right there in her letter. Both sides need to approach it with honor and respect. Mm -hmm. And he starts talking about, yeah, how important it is that you speak with your man about this issue with honor and respect and you make sure that he doesn't uh, feel the need to get defensive or anything like that when you want to broach these issues. Be willing to talk about it openly and with honor and respect from both sides. Seems so simple, doesn't it? but it is the hardest thing that you will ever have to do. That is why I'm committed to working it out over my lifetime. I think it may well take that. Well, this is one wise woman, and certainly um, there's no resolution here in this email. She is still kind of in the same pickle that she's been in. But I do think she gives us the clue, and I think uh, the challenge here uh, for the man listening is, look, if you've got a wife who comes to you respectfully and honorably, 
and to address these issues with you. And she says something like this, and I would encourage every wife to approach their husband this way. Honey, I don't want to dishonor you. I respect you. How do I communicate my feelings in our sexual area without you feeling this is me somehow sending a message of dishonor? I have needs that uh, I long for you to meet because it's a turn-on to me, and I want to uh, engage you sexually. I want to get excited about sex. Uh, but there are certain things happening right now that uh, are not exciting me. And how do I say this in such a way that you don't feel dishonored or disrespected? I think that kind of conversation, saying it that way, broaches it. It, it. it blows me away. And let me say again, for those of you who don't know some of our history with this book, the whole idea that men need respect and women need love is based on an incorrect interpretation of Ephesians 5.33 and which was never meant to to be this big thing that he's made it into. I will I will put a link to the podcast where we talked about that and where we had a Greek expert in talking about that. But beyond that, it was based on a survey done by Shanti Felton with a very strange survey question, um, which was highly problematic, where they asked men if they would prefer to be alone and unloved or inadequate and disrespected. The problem with that is it's called a double-barreled question because you don't know if they pick one if they're reacting to alone or unloved or inadequate or disrespected because they're not synonyms. Inadequate is not a synonym for disrespected. And over 70% of men chose alone and unloved and they use that to say, therefore, men prefer respect. But they never asked women. (laughs) And when other researchers asked women, women answered the same way in virtually the same numbers. And so this idea that it's a gender difference is not true in the Greek, <laughs> it's it, in the way that Emerson Egridge says, and it's not true in survey data. It is something that he made up. Mm-hmm. And that just needs to be clear. Yeah, because the issue here is is not, it gets presented as he's found this amazing truth mm-hmm. that everyone else has missed. It's right here in the Bible, and we know it's true in psychology, that Men really want to be respected and women really just want to be loved and we're so different that way we need to play into those two things and that's what's presented all the time. But mm-hmm. what it's actually saying is like we talked about in a previous podcast, the word respect, it's like I can hear that uh, in The Princess Bride in Nigo Mentoya, right? Mm-hmm. You keep using that word. I do not think it means what you think it means. <laughs> right? So the respect doesn't mean what we think of respect. When I think of respect, I think it, you know, there's two levels of respect. There's a respect which you give to a person because, you know, of the things they've done that you admire. Mm-hmm. And then there's the respect that is, you know, because they're a judge or they're a police officer or whatever, you you, you give mm-hmm. the respect. Uh, and he kind of takes those and smushes them together. Because in Emerson Egrich's mind, he thinks that the husband is the authority in the family. He mm-hmm. talks about the husband, the way you, you know, the way, what's the difference, what's the difference between love and respect? You don't, res- you don't love your boss, right? But you he, respect your boss. Yeah. And the whole point is that in his view of the Christian marriage, the man is the boss. Mm-hmm. Um, and so basically, you know, what he's saying is is that uh, women are supposed to submit, men are supposed to be in charge. And that's the truth. Mm-hmm. And so this gets presented as, you know, the way that everything needs to be. And so therefore, yeah, if she's crying, whatever, as long as she's doing your duty, it all makes sense. It all fits together. The problem is it's not healthy. It's just, it's just not healthy. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, and it's clear to anybody with eyes to see that it's not healthy. Um, and, and, I, and I don't know what else we can say. It's mm-hmm. just wrong. Mm-hmm. I mean, women need respect too. Men need love too. Mm-hmm. And, and, and it's, how, how can we keep talking in these binary terms about something which is something we both need both? I don't get it. 
Yeah. It's, and I, you know, there, there's something that he says later on that got me thinking and came up with a little bit of a theory, but he's talking about, he's talking about how, you know, the man needs to be approached with these discussions from a place of honor and respect because, you know, honor is the language of men and, uh, the, those things that Emerson likes to say and talk about. He says to the woman that they need to broach, if they want to say something about this, they need to broach the subject gently and with all this respect. And they need to recognize that a lot of men will get really defensive about this kind of thing. And some men are, are so insecure that they will just stiff, like they'll just stiff arm the wife, get defensive, put up their hackles, not listen to anything she has to say. And that she just needs to stay the course, just keep bringing it up from time to time in that same in that same way never call him out or anything uh and he will uh, eventually just spontaneously change his mind and no longer be defensive and i'm like i'm sorry that's not how people work sometimes <laughs> sometimes i need to get called out for something yeah mm-hmm. yeah well I mean, we said this before too there's this concept of you know, visualize the husband you want to have and admire him like he is that husband and he will become that husband. That's kind mm-hmm. of the thing that's out there, right? And But if you if you take people who are entitled and you treat them like they should be entitled, they're going to act entitled. Yes. <laughs> like that's, yeah. that's what they're going to do. What motivation does the husband have to change? He's getting sex every three days. Yeah. Well, and, and also he's been taught yeah. to not care that his wife is in emotional turmoil over it. That's right. Right? Like he's like he's No matter to... how she feels about it, he still gets what he wants and her and her emotions don't matter to him. Yeah, and and what happened to being a loving Christ-like husband who actually wants the best for your wife? Mm-hmm. Where is that in this story? Mm-hmm. Now, one thing he does say to the man after that is he encourages them to you know, reflect on the things that their wives say and see if, you know, maybe maybe there's some wisdom that you can learn there from the way that they talk to you about this. And uh, just see if, you know, there's a way that you can kind of try to speak that language back to them. Uh, and you know what, like you might be too self, it might feel weird, you might be too self-conscious to do it face-to-face uh, with that, like with that emotional language and everything like that. You can just write it down in a letter and, and uh, you know, leave that out for her. And I hear that and I think, maybe if you can't be emotionally vulnerable and intimate enough with this person that you married mm. to speak emotional language to them face to face, maybe that's the reason you can't get your wife turned on. <laughs> yeah. Because this is the thing is that, yeah... Some people are not good at expressing their emotions, right? Mm-hmm. And, and sometimes, especially if you're upset, either because you're angry or because you're sad or whatever, maybe you need to write it down because mm-hmm. you want to be clear mm-hmm. of what you want to say and you don't want to say more hurtful things. I think yeah. that could be a positive thing. I think that can be a, a mm-hmm. good strategy, I think. But the thing I, I don't see in this, and, and I'll be honest, I don't see it in most of the stuff that I read in the evangelical church, is the idea that men need to learn how to be more emotionally available, more emotionally intelligent. It's just this idea that men just aren't like that. God made men to be these stoic, impassable, untouchable bastions of strength who have no emotions. Mm-hmm. And that's what you women need to understand that men are like. And men, 
we know that you, you'll never ever be able to do it because real men don't have emotions, but try your best to pretend like you do. Like, that's kind yeah. of the way that it reads to me. Now, I don't know if that's what they're trying to say, but that's the way it comes across. But you know what? You can be a very strong, capable man and be emotionally intelligent. And mm-hmm. we should be calling men to be strong, capable men who are emotionally intelligent because the two are not mutually exclusive. Now, Jesus was able to have emotional conversations with people. Mm, yeah. and Well, he touched the heart of the matter so many times. Exactly. And, you know, on a personal level, I can have emotional conversations with you. Mm-hmm. You have no problem sharing your emotions with me. Mm. I know you and Rebecca do. Yeah. This is not a weird thing. And yet, he is talking about seriously odd things that aren't emotionally healthy as if they are normal. And this is one of the red flags that I just want to talk about for a minute. When the things that an author is presenting as normal are not healthy, we need to start asking, is the author healthy? And is the author in a community that's healthy? Because he obviously thinks it is normal for women never to want sex. For women to say, hey, I'm getting a divorce and not really mean it, like this is a normal thing to do. For men not to be able to talk to their wives about, and I understand, you know, if, you, if you're having a huge conflict and it's been ongoing and you need to have this, but this is just basic stuff. It's just communication. <laughs> and, 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 and if the... he thinks those things are normal, that men can't do that, then we need to start asking, is this someone who is equipped to teach us about marriage at all? And that is, you, you can't tell if a woman is it's around. turned on, yes. You can't tell if a woman's turned on. It's like, yes. I don't think I'm going to listen to you, maybe. <laughs> and that the issue is this. Yes, in the past... It's probably, it may be true that men have a harder time with emotions, right? Mm -hmm. So it may be true. Mm -hmm. That doesn't mean it's right. Right. It doesn't mean that's the way it should be. It's not the way that God intended. And we know that that is not biological. We know that's cultural. Yeah. But they present it as if this is the way God made men because that's what all the men around them are like. And so they assume this is the way that God made all men. Yeah. Mm -hmm. And And it's it's sad because it's such a stilted view of what man is. Like like he specifically talks about... uh, the he specifically talks about how men can be energized and everything just from the simple act of having sex because of the way that they are made physiologically mm. like men just physiologically don't have a need for the intimacy and emotion and it's just they get everything they need from purely the physical yeah, yeah. okay that is called channeling your needs for intimacy and yeah. for emotional connection into sex because you are not emotionally healthy or mature enough to be able to express them in any other way. That's actually quite a common thing, yeah. but it is a sign that you have some serious work to do mm-hmm. with probably with a licensed counselor. Mm-hmm. Um, a lot of people do do that. and Cause, Yeah, because sex is the only outlet mm-hmm. for how you express your emotions. Yeah. I think about too, you know, this is a, maybe a little bit off topic, but the Christian the pornography, how pornography is rampant among Christians as well as, you know, outside mm-hmm. the church. Um, and I think about what Michael John Cusick said in his book about how pornography makes you feel strong without having to be strong. Yes. Mm-hmm. And, and so I think a lot of this mentality in the church about how men need sex and men express their, their, their emotions in sex and sex is the way that men feel energized. It just feeds this pornographic view that it's like, I get sex so I feel built up. Yeah. As opposed to sex being two people joining. Well, what it allows is it allows men to feel connected without having to connect. Mm-hmm. 
sex in his mind allows us to feel like we are connecting yeah. but you well, never also, had to be emotionally vulnerable and start sharing about your feelings to me which is the real connection yeah and it's that emotional vulnerability when we start sharing feelings when we start start sharing fears when we start really opening up to each other that's what actually builds desire in both people yeah and yet and he, does, like, he misses that entirely. And it's like maybe if as a guy you're able to learn how to do that and to emotionally connect and to communicate using emotional language, be vulnerable, be intimate, all these things, maybe you could just vacuum because the floor is dirty. <laughs> <laughs> because you're able to get your wife turned on. And, and the thing is, for people that are listening to, you know, if you are a bit more traditional in these things, right? And like you grew up with, where women do the housework and men don't. You're like that's what I grew up with too. I mean, mm-hmm. like I had to be taught to see dirty floors that needed to be vacuumed. Same. I didn't, you yeah. know. But I've grown and I've matured, and I don't yeah. feel less of a man because I vacuum now. Like it doesn't, yeah. you know. But this kind of mentality of men are like this, women are like that. It's just it doesn't help people in terms of growing and being actually healthy. Yeah. It, it keeps us in these narrow little boxes. Uh, and it actually reinforces patterns which are harmful, mm-hmm. which do make you ripe for a, you know addictive sexual addiction and all these other bad behaviors because you feel entitled to sex, you don't feel like there's any other way to express your emotions besides sex, all these kind of things. They just it just it's snowballs into this big massive avalanche of harm, mm-hmm. and, and we need to t- think differently. To wrap it up here, we are going to talk about the very final sentence in the whole podcast episode they've finished the episode they're getting ready to wrap everything up and uh emerson's son jonathan says to him okay so do you have any any last words you want to give our listeners to kind of sum everything up and this is the one that emerson decides to go with uh his his big final sentence okay, to let's wrap listen up the whole podcast. This, is the take, this is the takeaway of the whole podcast thanks for joining us uh, this week any kind of final um comments uh, today the best way to turn your wife on sexually is not to try to turn her on sexually okay well we'll see you next week take care everybody so- i hope you're not listening to this babe <laughs> <laughs> yeah, exactly. see this is the thing okay so this is what this is my thing okay so there's a lot of teaching out there in the church about sex and how and it's it's like there's this crisis that women aren't having enough sex Right, uh-huh. And so what has happened is the church has given this message, which is the obligation sex message. Yes. So even if you don't want to, women, it's part of marriage. You need to. You have to. And, and this is what they've done. And the problem is it's not made the problem better. It's made the problem worse. Mm-hmm. And, and everyone sees that it's getting worse. You hear this? The way to turn your wife on is to not try to turn your wife on. Any guy with half a brain is going to go, Doing nothing's not going to do something. Yeah. Like, that doesn't make any sense. The advice that we've been given is not helping. And, it, and yet, it's not. And yet yeah. we keep doubling down and saying the same things. Like, Emerson actually triples down on it. He says, after the, you turn, a woman, uh, you turn on a woman sexually by not having anything to do with her sexually, he says, this is a classic truth, an axiom, a basic principle. <laughs> yeah right okay I mean look so even if you don't agree with everything Sheila says okay like you gotta realize that the stuff that's out there is not working like yeah. it's not working so at least give some thought to the possibility that maybe a more holistic view of sex might be the answer yeah. maybe getting rid of some of these gender stereotypes mm-hmm. some of these really outdated views of what it means to be a loving Christ-like husband and that it means being a boss and it means like leaving wet towels around and stuff like that. Like maybe mm-hmm. we should chuck some of this stuff. 
and, and try, to, try and get healthy. Churches, this can no longer be the best-selling marriage book. It can no longer be our most used marriage study. Things need to change. And really soon, we're going to be dropping a bonus episode where we simply read the stories of the women who say abuse has been enabled in their marriage because of love and respect. This was a harmful book. We know that many people read it and felt that it helped their marriage. But like with the drug thalidomide in the 60s, where it caused huge birth defects because of the women who took it, it didn't cause birth defects in everybody. But when it did harm, it harmed badly. And Jesus says that you leave the 99 to go after the one. We care about the people who are being lost. We care about the people who are being hurt. This book hurts and it doesn't just hurt the one. It hurts an, a huge number of people. We've studied that now in our survey of 20,000 women, in our survey of 3,000 men. We now know this for certain. It's time to change and we will keep coming back to this every January in the third week until this book is taken out of print and until we get it. So please let this not be our story anymore. Everybody needs respect, everybody needs love, and we all need to grow up and be emotionally healthy. And be like Jesus. I know this has been a heavy podcast. Thank you for listening in. I really believe that together we can start to make a difference. And part of the way we make that difference is by getting better teaching out there. There is no reason that love and respect should still be the top selling marriage resource. And when you speak up, when you share this podcast, maybe more people will start to see how toxic this stuff really is. And there are alternatives. The Good Guys Guide to Great Sex, Good Girls Guide to Great Sex are out March 15th. You can pre-order them now. And of course, The Great Sex Rescue has been out for almost a year. And I want to read to you one of the newest reviews that came in. A woman named Hannah writes, this book is incredible. Growing up in the Southern Baptist purity culture and backed with strong patriarchal ribbing, there were many teachings that I knew felt wrong in my gut. These authors have articulated those feelings for me. There are many teachings embedded in me that I didn't even realize were problematic and my eyes have now been open to their toxicity. Read this book. It will be time well spent, I promise. So I love that. I think we are changing lives one couple at a time and I pray that the powers that be will one day listen to our critiques of how toxic this stuff is. But even if they don't, it can make a difference in your marriage now. And you don't have to continue with that toxicity. You can find real freedom. As Paul said, it is for freedom that Christ has set us free. If you are ever listening to teaching that does not bring freedom, but instead brings condemnation, burdens, and feeling like you're being tortured or persecuted, that is not of God. And it is okay to put it behind and run after Jesus instead.